0: project a
1: podcast hello and welcome to the project a founders podcast with this episode again focusing on commercialization which includes uh, marketing sales and data topics my name is anastasia and i'm the head of marketing here at project a Our team helps our portfolio companies with anything related to customer acquisition, growth, and customer engagement. And I'm super happy that uh, today I have Philip Yenel here, Head of Marketing Intelligence at Flixbus. Thanks for joining us today. Our topic is Proving Your Money's Worth, Measuring Marketing Impact. So we will talk about how to approach um, marketing attribution and cohort analysis super important and uh, interesting topic and it's particularly important and interesting in light of the upcoming deprecation of the third-party cookies as announced by google and as well as um, apple's app tracking transparency framework uh, which uh, requires users now to explicitly give consent for idfa usage Um, so yeah, as we are moving uh, towards a more private web and app environment, how can we still measure marketing effectiveness? That's one of our topics today. Uh, but first of all, Philip, uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, yeah, what you're responsible for at
0: Flixbus. Yes, uh, thanks Thanks for having me in your podcast, Anastasia. Um, thanks for the invitation. So Um, Yeah, I'm Philip, Head of Marketing Intelligence at Flixbus, and um, in the company since 2015, so over six and a half years now. And uh, I'm originally coming from the business field, uh, so having studied in, in Germany, Australia and Poland, but always have been kind of passionate about data, programming, analytics and models. Um, And this is what I'm doing now at Flixbus together with my 12-people team. And um, I mean, I hope all of your listeners know what Flixbus is doing, but just in case that there are some listeners who have never traveled with us or who have never heard of us. So Flixbus um, is yeah, providing mobility services, but it's, it's way more than just the bus provider. We are actually across... Mobility tech platform um, that combines customer-centric demand supply matching. So we try to really understand how can we um, match supply and demand on the market. So we do this in our network planning and, and pricing teams, and we combine this uh, this data or this um, um, yeah this planning approach with our data-driven marketing tech products. Um, To support kind of long-term growth and profitability of the company so for our customers that it's actually that means something much more simpler so it means they can travel very easily from a to b with a bus from b to c with our flix trains so yes we have also trains on the rails now Um, and in the future potentially from c to d with other mobility types such as cars or ferries so we have been experimenting uh, with these kind of market um, marketplace type of things in the past already. Due to the Corona situation, we have um, focused more on our core uh, of our core business, which is bus and train. Um, but this, um, yeah, extended mobility types will certainly come back in the future. And this all happens quite seamlessly on on one platform. And is backed with a nice marketing engine in the background, which is my field of responsibility together with some other great heads and brains in the company. Um, and yeah, just, just to also give a quick um, overview for those who only know Flixbus from a German market, we are actually present now in 35 countries, uh, such as Germany, France, Italy, Turkey, and US. And yeah, so we are thinking global and yeah, to, to answer your question. So what, what am I actually doing at, at Flix, um, basically I have three main goals uh, to accomplish. So first of all, making everything measurable and trackable. So no matter if it's online touch points, such as Google SEA or paid social offline touch points, such as out of home or TV ads, then secondly, Understanding our customers' behavior, so what makes them book a Flix ticket in the first place, what makes them repeat, Um, how about churn, so customers not coming back anymore, what are the drivers and reasons for this behavior, etc. And third, uh, eventually, uh, this all kind of analysis and tech products that we are doing leads to business and marketing budget decisions. So where does it need more of a push how can we secure our company targets customer acquisition and retention
1: Thanks for the intro Philip so yeah you already mentioned it um you you have a, a quite complex customer journey right so you have also an app presence um your so your web and app So yeah, cookie-based mapping uh, breaks down across multiple devices. Users are also doing more across more channels. So you um, have built a quite sophisticated marketing attribution model um, to understand how the different uh, channels contribute to a booking. Uh, But yeah, our portfolio companies might not be there yet. Uh, So yeah, many of our portfolio companies, they start with using uh, advertiser attribution from Google or Facebook. And I mean, they are um, quite advanced, right? Especially Google's data-driven marketing attribution might be great for starters, but maybe at what point do you need to start thinking about a neutral attribution? Maybe let's start here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we all have been there right at the beginning of a company, um, where everything is quite, um, freestyle, I would say. Uh, and I still remember when I started my journey, um, in e-commerce companies, and this was also the case uh, at Flixbus back in 2015. Um, is that it was super unclear to understand what is the contribution of each and every marketing channel to the overall revenue of the company, right? So, so I had these different sessions with different leads of uh, of the different teams, like like the social team, SEA, affiliates, CRM, SEO, etc. Back in the days, we were really also structured from a co- from a from a team structure point of view in in channels. This is different today. As we are seeing this more in a holistic and customer-centric approach, but back in the days it was more in this channel structure. So I had these um, these meetings with all these leads, and and one among other que- uh, questions was how many sales did you do last month, right? So this was kind of my first month in in Flix, so I started to get a clue of what's what's going on. And so, so what did I do after I finished all my talks with all those teams? I summed everything up and compared it to the overall sales and figured, um, well, it doesn't match, right? So there was like 40 to 50% more of sales than there was actually in the company. So basically one channel uh, was claiming the same order or the same revenue than the other one did. So the reason for this is that multiple channels are claiming the same bookings for themselves, um, which kind of makes sense for an isolated perspective of every single channel, but this is not what we really want as a as a company or also as a, let's say, controlling or BI, marketing intelligence department. We want to understand what is the overall or the each and everyone's contribution to the sale. Um, so. The problem that that you have when you don't when you don't deduplicate your orders is that you making many mistakes. Um, first of all, well, you could claim you could say, well, okay, let it be. Then we have multiple channels claiming the same order. So what? I'm just interested in bottom line ROAS so return on ad spend, and that's it, and that's fine for me. But that only makes sense when you are in a very privileged situation. Of, of no need to care about drawers, targets, gross margins at all. So if you have enough buffer, so to say, enough space um, that you don't need to care and that you don't need to optimize. And this is, I would say, uh, very rarely the case. So the final consequence is if you don't du- deduplicate your, your orders is that your marketing steering will become impossible as every marketing channel is steered individually and you will hardly meet your ROAS targets. Um, let me give you an example for that. Maybe it's, it's then more clear for, for the listeners to understand um, what, what, what am I talking about. So uh, let's assume the ROAS target for an SEA campaign is three, right? So for every euro invested in SEA, you aim uh, to get three euros back. And assuming you are meeting your targets, um, at least in this isolated perspective from the advertiser point of view, So in this case, uh, Google. So you don't know what happens outside of the Google universe in order to convert this touchpoint. Google just looks at, okay, there was a touchpoint and there was an order, but it doesn't care if there was a touchpoint before or afterwards. And yeah, maybe there was a previous touchpoint on Facebook and maybe the customer needs to compare prices uh, on one of our MetaSearcher partner websites afterwards to finally convert. So you don't know that. And um, when you only look at your conversions in an isolated way, um, you are not accounting for the further costs that this conversion needs. Um, And that will quite easily um, have the effect that you will exceed your ROAS targets. So at a certain point, you will need to think about a deduplication of conversions and a neutral attribution model to account for yeah, your way of measuring the impact of the marketing mix on your total revenue mm.
1: yeah and that that's definitely a, a good point and, and, but I think what we uh, or what most of our companies are unsure of is what needs to be in place before do I need to uh, build a huge data team first uh, to be able to do that right or can I um can I start with like very simplistic uh simplistic model and then maybe go go into more depth into multi-touch attribution models, etc. So I think uh what would be interesting to understand like what needs to be in place uh before building
0: your own marketing attribution model. Yeah, yeah, very very interesting question, um very pragmatic approach. Um so I would say here also Three things, probably. So um, first, um, when you start a company, you need to make sure that your business m- model is actually working and validated. So there's no need to come up with any sort of sophisticated attribution model without having your, your business model kind of uh, in place and really understood how um, how are our, our customers actually uh, booking. um But um, yeah, it doesn't make so much sense to build an analytics team when you hardly manage to convert your traffic at a reasonable um, bottom line return on ad spend. So once this is fine and working, it is super important from my point of view to start building up some analytical resources. So call it BI analytics or or marketing intelligence, uh, whatever. And this is quite similar um, from from a timing point of view Uh, when you are building your CRM knowledge and infrastructure. So you also probably don't do that from from the very scratch. Um, But at a certain point where where you are sure, okay, this is going somewhere, uh, it makes sense to build up this this knowledge and these resources. yeah, secondly, what needs to be in place? Uh, I mean, you need to have a proper tracking setup to be able to track your touchpoints across different um, platforms, domains, apps, etc. So this can be Google um, or other tools such as, um, I don't know, Adobe, WebTrack, Snowflow, etc. So every company needs to find their own tracking tech stack that fits to their company um structure and needs. Um, I mean, some tools like like Snowplow, which is like an open source um, tool. And we are using that, for example, uh, need more engineering maintenance. So this is probably not per- uh, the perfect thing for a startup company, which has limited resources. Um, so um, also keep in mind here that, um, yeah, if you're a small company, you should probably go more for um, solutions that uh, require less engineering maintenance are maybe a little less flexible, but come more out of the box. Um, so probably, yeah, Google is, uh, is a good starting point here. And also bear in mind, if you have an app, um, you will need to consider tools like Apps Flyer or, or Adjust um, to, to measure your Insta campaigns. And then further on combine those journeys uh, with the ones on your website. So people, I mean, customers or users nowadays are um, surfing cross-platform. So they're doing some research on the on the mobile phone, download, downloading the app, then maybe doing some price comparisons on their laptop. And um, yeah, making the right conclusions is only possible when you merge um, as most data points as possible. Um, so that you are not kind of left in the dark and blind and don't know what what your customer is doing. And you're just purely um, looking on your cookie based uh, yeah customer journeys. And then third, uh, third, and maybe uh, last but least not least uh, is Yeah, you need to invest in, in building up a marketing analytics team. So I mean, this can be one person in the beginning. Um, smart data-driven person, I've seen this in, in a lot of companies that I've, uh, I've been working in, that at the beginning is, is probably quite um, worth to invest into yeah, one smart or t- one, well, small team of very data-driven people. And at some point, yeah, you will need to think about data scientists to add more complex features to the models and engineers to make sure that your attribution um, model is able to communicate also to all the other company products such as budget engines, target engines, bidding engines, reporting engines, etc. So also attribution, in my opinion, remains, um, remains a make or buy decision in the beginning. So um, there are many companies on the market that you can do things better and faster than building up everything by yourself um but however you will still need an, an internal team to integrate those logics add company specific features and yeah kind of own and be responsible for the ownership of the attribution model within the whole organization so these these three points basically yeah so b- business model validation um mm-hmm. proper tracking setup and investing in a small team of analytical resources
1: mhm uh, that that's a great summary, and um, I would like to understand how your uh attribution model actually developed over time. How did you start uh, in the beginning when you were a young company, and how did it, you know, uh, go from from a very simplistic uh marketing attribution model to a multi touch uh attribution model that takes into account all. Different um uh, web browsers, devices, all channels, campaigns, creatives, etc. So um, can you talk a little bit about like this this development that you you went through?
0: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I remember. I mean, as I said, so when I when I when I started, this was uh, not organized at all, and this is this is quite normal, I would say, for a company that is yeah just. Finding itself uh, in terms of attribution, how do customers book, which channels do they use, etc. And yeah, I would, I mean, how we did it, we, we started quite early on with simulations. So we had our, yeah, let's say Google last non direct touch attribution, I mean, the one that Google Analytics serves out of the box. But we, I mean, we knew that this is not the right thing for us. We have a lot of um, upper funnel channels, uh, a lot of explorative um, touch points, a lot of price comparison, uh, etc., which is not um, which is not considered at all in this attribution model. So we started to make some, yeah, simulations like a U shape model and, and some rule based model, just you know. We extracted the data we, we made some simulations we, we checked how would that actually um yeah how would that change if we if we change the attribution model yeah and we also looked at it from a very customer centric point of view so we tried to understand so how do customers usually decide for our products and services do they read? I don't know, articles about us. Do they compare prices, etc.? How do they search on Google for us? Um, which keywords do they use? Uh, is it like long-term, uh, sorry, um, is it like upper-final keywords or lower-final keywords? So are they very close to the bookings or are they quite far from the booking? Or do they look for inspiration, etc.? cetera? And um, yeah, and at some point we decided that we need um, a neutral... Um, attribution so we wanted to move away from this uh, messy advertiser platform attribution and we wanted to deduplicate our conversions we wanted to be better in our ROAS steering so um, the, the point that I mentioned before so if every channel just isolate it looks at their ROAS targets in an isolated way we, are, we will never meet our ROAS targets because there's always cost on top of it. And, and we need to build a holistic steering model to be able to um, to meet our ROAS targets. And then we, we figured that, yeah, we need a multi-touch attribution. Um, we also had the decision of make or buy. Uh, we worked with a couple of um, attribution partners um, in the past. Um, And at some point we actually figured, well, we need a CLV attribution. So customer lifetime value attribution, and uh, this is the case because we have seen that we are probably under evaluating our investment in paid channels that actually acquire the customers and those customers like buy by our strategy, like defined by our strategy, are moved more towards owned channels, which is mostly our mobile app. And the, the customers keep booking, and like from the data point of view, it looks like, well, this uh, booking is coming for free, so we are not having any spend, any marketing campaigns attached to this, let's say, direct opening uh, revenue. But this is actually not true. The truth actually is that, um, that this, um, order, that this revenue wouldn't have happened if we wouldn't have invested in those paid channels. So that's why it's so important for us to invest in customer lifetime value attribution. And I'm not sure if your listeners know what, what, what difference is. So normally in a in multi-touch attribution, we consider the customer journey until until the booking, until the order. And once the order is done, this kind of resets to zero and starts from the beginning. Um, so the previous customer journey doesn't play a role for the attribution of the subsequent orders. And this is for us, um, and I, I assume also for many other companies, um, a big problem because you are actually under uh, under evaluating your um your previous spend um so yeah that's that's how we started to 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 think about it and um so we started with this very last simple last session attribution then we added multi-touch attribution to it then we included our app install touch points which is also not so easy to do so there are Different uh, methods how you can do that, um, and there are some great companies on the market that help you also do that if you have no resources uh, to do it to do it by yourself. And mostly, from my point of view, from my experience, it makes more sense to also get this expertise, um, as there are very experienced partners um, out there on the market which are only doing this sort of things. Uh, so you don't need to build up resources specifically on that. And you can use your resources, your analytical resources, to actually work with that data. And yeah, and then we went from this this order attribution model to a CLV attribution, so to this customer lifetime value attribution model. And yeah, now we are we are solving all those challenges, also the ones that you mentioned in your in your introduction, uh, step by step. So how to deal with all these blind spots that we have? How to deal with all these Challenges that we will face in regards to um, GDPR, um, um, right. cookie consent, etc. And yeah, these are just a few of of the of the problems and challenges that we are facing now. And yeah, we will add more complex um, more complex uh, models and more uh, attributes to the attribution on top of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, actually, um, good point you made. A lot of our companies also struggle with this cross-device uh, attribution. Can you mention a couple of providers that you uh, feel like, um, yeah, are need to be uh, looked at uh, if you decide to actually buy, um, buy that?
0: Yeah. Oh, uh, I mean, without doing any sort of promotion, I mean, but this is quite a public information. So we are working together with Artriba, which is a Hamburg based startup. Um, We were quite um, happy with, with the collaboration here as they offered, um, well, this web tracking and app tracking um, out of the box. Um, So what they're actually doing in regards to app tracking is they have um, they connect to uh, adjust or apps flyer which are the main um, app tracking platforms um, and they are not stopping there so they are um, we are currently developing together um, a model that allows us to also include more external factors so such as seasonality such as um, um, yeah channels that are currently untrackable by let's say the regular attribution methods so such as tv long-term effects um, how about pr coverage um, what happens to email send outs for example what about um, on and offline voucher distribution um, all these kind of data um, we are building um, um, yeah, a media mix model Um, and integrate that into our attribution model. So that's kind of our next milestone to understand, uh, to to further close these blind spots that we currently have um, and integrate that into our attribution model and into our deduplicated uh, way of looking at data. And there are also other companies um, like, um, I don't know, Conversion Logic or I think Share is another one. So these were these were also the tools that we were looking at um, in our uh, selection process.
1: Right. Yeah. Thank you. So so you're using a, a combination of actually marketing attribution modeling plus marketing mix modeling uh, to to get a full holistic view, so to speak. So uh, so an attribution model will recognize the fact that the campaign is present in the customer journey, um, but it cannot really tell us if the campaign's presence is useful. So when does it make sense to start also looking into incrementality?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So um, especially when you have always-on campaigns, such as Google SEA, in our case, is always-on, SEA brand, SEA non-brand. We have a lot of Facebook campaigns, um, Uh, running always on it is very hard to understand if there isn't any incremental uplift to these campaigns this is easier when you have for example a a nationwide tv campaign Um, then you even can see it with your let's say with your own eyes Um, so if your if your campaign is successful you will see the incremental effect on the data But with the other campaigns that I mentioned that are always on, it's very hard to understand if they're actually um, generating any incremental uplift. Um, So what would you need to do? So basically, you would need to turn off one of those campaigns and see if any other channel are compensating these losses, these, um, uh, these losses that you do in one channel Uh, and we did that actually we started incrementality tests two years ago and focused a lot on sea um, mainly i mean sea brand and sea non-brand and the paid social campaigns mostly for um, app install campaigns on facebook and what we were doing um, and what we are still doing is we are building test and control groups that correlate quite high with each other so test and control groups uh, in regards to cities. Um, so that's the only way how we can do that at the moment. I mean, ideally, we are also in. I mean, we are also in discussion with Google here if there's other ways of doing that. But at the moment, we cannot really build real A/B test here um, as we are not able to basically send out um, dummy ads. For our control group. So, ideally, it would be the case that we have um, kind of a 95% group that receives the ad and 5% receives uh, a dummy ad for, I don't know, um, any NGO company like UNICEF or Greenpeace. And then we actually can steer or not steer, but we can um, measure the cohorts or the customer segment as a whole um, and validate if there is an incremental uplift on revenue, despite the fact of clicks or not clicks. But that's not possible in Google. uh, We are doing that kind of approach uh, for our CRM activities. Um, We can do that because we are controlling our customer data by ourselves. In the the case of Google, that's not the case. So what we need to do is we need to build these test and control groups based on cities that correlate quite um, high with each other. And then we perform an interception and basically turn off the marketing spend of one channel in the test area. And then we compare how the revenue behaves on all channels. um, And if there are certain shifts from one channel to another one. Um, And we have some interesting results um, there actually. So we performed this test already in a couple of countries and uh, we showed that By turning off the SEA brand um, spend, we see that SEA brand has a quite low incrementality as most of the SEA brand clicks and revenue is compensated by SEO. Um, However, um, what we are currently validating in that regard is um, how this evolves in the long term so at the moment we know this is happening on the short term but we are not quite sure yet how this is evolving on the long run and how the competitive situation influences this behavior so if there's a strong uh, competitive uh, market uh, like we have for example in France um, this might be way different than if you have kind of a free free space for your brand. So if there's if there's companies bidding on our brand, this picture might of course change a lot. And on the other hand, SCA non-brand, uh, so all those keywords that are not included in a brand so um, bus Berlin Hamburg or I want to travel to Paris um, these kind of keywords have actually shown a very high incrementality across all our tested markets. So we know with every euro spent, we are getting um, an incremental um, return back. And this revenue would have been lost otherwise, um, which gives us more confidence in the investment decisions and in our budget mix um, and when planning the, the budget for our, for our marketing campaigns. So our next step now, um, as I said, so attribution, um, media mix. And incrementality are kind of the three pillars, how we would like to look at data in a holistic way in marketing. And our next step is now to include these results from the incrementality tests into our attribution and media mix model and make those result, uh, results visible in a more systematic way. Because at the moment, this is a more like uh, treated like ad hoc analysis. So we have some puzzle pieces here and there. Um, we are now transforming that into a more systematic way of testing. So, where do we need to test? In which seasonality do we need to test? And in which channel do we need to test in order to complete the picture and also kind of model and interpolate uh, the missing pieces so, we so that we don't need to test everything always in every market? I mean, that, that probably doesn't make sense. So, finding a smart approach how to actually build this model build this system together
1: Wow that that sounds super advanced <laughs> and I mean you're always hearing about you know, Uber and Airbnb switching off channels and then they realize nothing happens. And <laughs> um, and then you think, oh, well, <laughs> if, if we as a smaller company would do it, then uh, <laughs> it would definitely have an impact. And how can you actually, t- but how can you test in a maybe smaller environment? That's
0: yeah. uh, super interesting. Exactly. And I mean, there's always a risk. There's always a risk attached to it. So switching off SEA brand or SEA non-brand I mean, you need to be aware that you're risking revenue potentially. Mm -hmm. So, so Mm -hmm. testing that in a smaller scale reduces the risk and gives more confidence in in saving money and and shifting this money into more incremental channels uh, in the future. And this will actually um, create more dynamic for company growth. And I think every CEO or CMO should be interested in that and should be um yeah should be willing to invest in incrementality tests because that's actually what um creates dynamic in the company growth
1: Hmm. yeah definitely i would also like to uh to briefly talk a little bit about um yeah data privacy and how we're moving towards a more uh, private web and app environments so yeah with uh Now the third-party cookies as well, um, yeah, being deprecated um, soon. And of course, the fact that uh, Apple has also um, announced that uh, you need users' consent to use IDFA uh, tracking. Um. Yeah. Now a lot of questions are arising because I mean, obviously, losing access to third-party data uh, can leave your uh, marketing attribution model with a quite biased representation. Um. So yeah, I mean, view-through attribution won't be possible anymore. You need to leverage uh first-party data uh much more to measure uh marketing effectiveness so in in general, I mean, um how are you approaching this topic and uh, yeah what what is happening now with marketing attribution are you <laughs> because some some are even saying you know that's not yeah marketing attribution is that as well <laughs> um so but yeah, what are maybe current um yeah you know, or future methodologies that will take uh their place so how are you looking at this topic
0: yeah i mean first of all no one knows how this story is going to develop and how the story is going to end um so there are a lot of developments observed at the moment um the the two main developments that i see is of course apple who are um quite disrupting the market with their iOS 14 change. So we are talking about this IDFA change. So IDFA is the identifier for advertisers to deliver customized um, advertising, but also to track users based on this information. And Apple is um, pushing a lot for um, forcing developers to ask for consent from the users, so users need to uh, actually um, accept or decline if they would like to share this IDFA data with the developer, so with the companies. Um, and first simulations of this development have shown that around 50 to 70, so 50 to 70 percent. Of users tend to not share the IDFA data, and thus leaving the companies in the dark about all sorts of campaign performances. And this is actually really, really bad for attribution because you don't know what like what is triggering your installs. Also, on a user level, you have no clue anymore from which campaign this user was acquired, and. I would say this requires all companies to find solutions, how to still remain steerable on this part of the marketing. And this is also observed, or I observed this also with Google. So Google announced a couple of weeks back that they are not going to, um, or they are actually going away from the third party cooking tracking and moving away from user-based tracking um yeah and even disabling these functions in the chrome browser and uh, i mean in my point of view this shows also again the power of google so which combines different services in the uh, in the in the online world while actually being the biggest advertising platform in the world so um, if their strategy is to go away from uh, third party and user-based tracking They can easily also remove these functionalities in the Chrome browser and basically um, have here a unified strategy. Not sure if that's if that's quite fair for all the other advertisers and for the other companies that are that are players in the market. And I'm also quite excited to see, to be honest, if Google will also apply the same standards to their own cash cow, which is Google AdWords, where they actually track users um on a user level for for example bounce backs um, so if a user clicks on an ad and goes back within two seconds google recognizes that and, and basically evaluates the quality of the ad based on this bounce back uh, behavior so i would definitely call that a user-based tracking uh, and i'm really excited to see if that's going to change in the future In alignment with with the advertisement um, uh, and and, and third-party cookie tracking that Google has planned so yeah there's there's a lot of development happening happening in in that regard and I mean my initial belief um, was when I started um, also in this marketing field and when I um, yeah when I was working in the field in the last couple of years was that we will be able to track everything on a very granular user level and which will help us to steer the business more effectively and, and target customers in a smarter way and this development seems not to become reality it's, it's, it looks more like we will do it more on an audience level more grouped more uh, clustered um, uh, targeting And in regards to attribution, we will probably need to find some some other solutions.
1: Yeah, and I mean, um, Google announced that they will roll out a technology called federated learning, of course, so that flock, (laughs) so that should allow you basically to remain anonymous as you browse across websites and uh, should, in theory, improve privacy um, while still being able to identify, yeah, large uh, cohorts, large groups that are basically have similar uh, characteristics. Um, so yeah, I also think that we're moving more towards this audience centric approach now, um, and maybe um, contextual targeting. <laughs> as
0: well. Maybe yeah, I <laughs> don't know. I, and, and I mean, this this uh, this is a, it's a huge challenge, right? So also for. For steering and attribution. I mean, to be honest, this view-through attribution um, was never quite, quite advanced. So we always have these closed silos, right? I mean, YouTube. If you're running a campaign on YouTube, um, you only can basically track it based on clicks, but you never, you're you're never able to track it or to measure the performance based on views. So people who has who have seen the ad, how do they behave? Are they going to the to the website or to the app? Two days later, three days later, that's something that you cannot really track already. Um, the same applies for Facebook uh, impressions. It's the same way. There are no possibilities, at least not in my uh, my understanding, to be able to have this view through attribution uh, s- um, be in place.
1: Oh. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So maybe last question. I know. Uh. Actually, we are almost out of time. Uh. But I think most of our portfolio companies. Um. They are also interested in understanding. Okay. What are my most valuable customers? What is the retention rate uh, of my valuable customers? How can I predict churn? And usually, um, yeah, cohort analysis is a good way to do this. Um, can you talk a little bit about, um, yeah, in the remaining time about that topic? So how do you define a cohort and how do you look at it? Um, and uh, yeah, how, how long do you, do you run such an analysis?
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, so first of all, um, what are cohorts? Um, so a cohort is a group of customers with shared characteristics observed in a defined time frame. So the characteristics can be various ones. Um, you can look at booking country. You can look at what kind of products have those customers purchased in common. Um, did they experience the same event? So in our case, could be a delay of a bus or a train, or could be, Customer service touchpoint, a redeemed voucher, etc. Um, then the observed time frame can be stable or dynamic. So um, let me give you an example. We could, for example, observe all customers acquired in Italy in January two thousand nineteen over the course of the next six months with respect to the revenue generated. So in that sense, we would need to be already in July 19, so seven months later, to have those full six months covered within the cohort. Otherwise, our cohort is not complete. Um, So if we want to analyze the six months customer lifetime value, we need to have those six months already covered. And what can we do with that now? So we can compare this cohort to previous years. So for example, to January 18, um, and the respective six months development of the of, of this January 18 cohort, we can we can compare this Italy to, uh, cohort to other countries, for example. And if we want to deep dive into that cohorts, we can cluster or slice those cohorts in even more granular groups to find action points for repeat or retention rates. So basically, understanding how likely our customers willing to do a second or third booking. Are we having a problem somewhere in our booking uh, funnel and what are the drivers or triggers for that? So this is kind of, let's say, this is more a a stable um, observation of time, but it can also be dynamic. So for example, if there was a delay in the bus, you can build an an ad hoc cohort with all those customers that have experienced this delay. um, And then you can compare it to a comparable uh, cohort that didn't experience that and try to understand what kind of effect is this specific event um, causing on the lifetime value of these customers. Of course, uh, you need to pay attention on um, other disturbing factors so that that, uh, your, your control groups are not biased by any other events. Um, but this is the fun part of it, uh, to do that. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, what, what kind of, what kind of, um, KPIs can you look at? So in, in our experience, um, you are looking mostly at CLV. So customer lifetime value, um, this can be revenue or already gross margin one revenue. For example, if you have the data. Um, you can look at repeat rates, so second, third, fourth booking. Also, quite interesting for us is when you add a cost component, so like um, customer acquisition cost (CAC), and then you look at CLV over CAC ratios of different cohorts. So you try to understand if, um, yeah, if your customers become profitable or I mean, hopefully they will. So at what point in time they will become break-even and trying to make this break-even point even faster is also something that investors are quite heavily looking on from from my experience. So at what point in time, so after two months, after three months, or maybe even uh, after a year, um, will our customers become profitable and break even? So basically, we have um, uh, our customer acquisition cost back per customer. And I mean, the earlier this this is, the better the business case works from my point of view.
1: Thanks. Um, thanks for, for for this, Philip. So, um, last question uh, to round this up: What would be your number one learning for founders that are thinking about No marketing attribution should i invest or should i do rather court analysis or look at incrementality etc so your number one learning for founders that they should definitely take away from this podcast
0: yeah um i think i can say it in one sentence um so having any kind of attribution model no matter how simple or rule-based it is is Better than blindly relying on the advertising platform's attribution. So do do something, do something instead of just relying on someone else.
1: Instead of do nothing. That's that's a great roundup. Thank you, Philip, for being with us today and for sharing your insights. And also many thanks to our audience for listening in. We are releasing our Founders Podcast every Friday. So follow us on Spotify or any other podcast app to get the newest episode and stay healthy. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, how about you subscribe on Spotify and or iTunes and give us a rating. Thanks, guys.